This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you about love will lead you to purpose. Love will lead you to purpose. Um, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I was 18 when we first moved to America. I was young, and it was a difficult time to transition because when you're 18, you're kind of moving out of childhood, you're moving into adulthood, you're getting kind of straddling this divide between the two areas. And so your, your social network is really important. And when you're uprooted from that at that age, it's never a nice thing and it's never a comfortable thing. And so when we came here, um, Dave, will not you pull me down more, please? When we came here, I had just finished school, and so I was going to go off, and I was going to go off to college and get moving with my career. And as most people, when you, when you get to college, they ask you a question which is almost impossible to answer, which is, what do you want to do with your life? And it's like, I'm not actually sure. I don't know. I haven't got to that point. I kind of have interests in different areas, but I can't tell you exactly. And so they start giving you a whole bunch of information and they put you on a track so that you can start to discover perhaps some of your aptitudes and the way that you feel about certain things and some of your giftings. And at least you'll start to get a direction as to where you should head and what movement you should take. And so I got into that and I started doing a whole bunch of courses and I really, I enjoyed college. I did enjoy it, but it was a tough time for me in many ways. But it was enjoyable because I found it expansive. The only course I never enjoyed was statistics, and that because that, that course actually comes from purgatory itself. <laughs> I think it was authored by Satan himself, and I have absolutely no reservations about saying that. I hated that course from day one, and I still to this day, and I've been out of it for about 30 years, and I still hate that course. The interesting thing is when you get to college, when you get to university, the whole point of university is you are exposed to thinking. You are exposed to ideas. You are exposed to new concepts. You are exposed to a whole bunch of knowledge. It's designed to enlarge your capacity. It's designed to build up a reservoir of information inside of you. People will talk to you about others' ideas. They'll speak to you about theories that have been tested and tried and what works. They'll talk to you about principles in business or in psychology or in life. And you're amassing this whole bunch of information and you're building up this reservoir of information. And it's good because it accumulates on the inside of you and it gives you something to work with. The thing about it is we're really investing in an intangible asset. It's an intangible asset. Because from my first year to my fourth year, and I did get through all four. That's what I thought, Rafa. (laughs) To the fourth year, if you looked at me, I looked exactly the same. I hadn't changed. There was nothing different about me. My bank account may have been a little bit lower, but you couldn't see anything from my perspective. I looked exactly the same, but there was an investment that was happening all the time. There was an assimilation that was building on the inside of me this knowledge base. The thing is, it was building an intangible asset on the inside of me. And what really gives that 
the intangible, what makes it valuable, is when it's manifest. What makes the intangible valuable is when it's manifest. The thing is, when I came out of college and I went and got into a, a career, what they said to me was, we're prepared to pay you this amount of money because we believe you have an intangible asset on the inside of you. And so we're looking for you to make a difference when you come into our organization. We're looking for you to make a contribution. We're looking for you to add something to who we are that can make us better off as a result of us paying you that money. The reason people get paid the big bucks is because they know how to take the intangible asset and invest it in a way so that it makes meaningful difference in the world. Our value in the intangible assets is only realized when it moves to a place where it takes on form in some way. Create a building. Build a new computer. Where it has expression. New formulas for maths. Understanding the basics and the concepts of things that we take for granted nowadays, like gravity. It starts to make our world bigger and more robust. Power is not in the knowledge. It's in the application. Power is not in the knowledge. I worked with some people who were so smart. It was embarrassing to hold a conversation with them. They were so smart and they were so dumb. They could tell you everything. Who wrote the book, where it came from, how. They could tell you everything, but they could never apply it. And the reason that they never moved forward was because the power is in the application. Can you do something with what you have on the inside of you so that you can inject it into a situation and bring about change and transformation? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because God who was an intangible, who was out there, a God that people had heard about, a God that people knew existed somewhere out there, sat and said, I want you to experience who I am. And the word became flesh to take the intangible so that the value that was on the inside could be manifest and introduced. The power of the intangible was not because it existed in the flesh, but was because it was introduced into the world. Jesus was the flesh. Christ was the anointing. That's why he is known as Jesus the Christ. Because he had something on the inside of him. He had the life of God on the inside of him. And he was committed to that. And he understood that if that life, if the intangible asset that was on the inside of me could gain access to the world, we beheld his glory that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why? Because the intangible had influence. And when the intangible had influence, people saw it and people looked at it and they said, we see it and we know him because of it. Romans chapter 8. Um... Where did I write that? 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. There is a path to your life. There is a path to your life. What the scripture speaks about is a succession plan that God has got. Sequentially for how we go through life. And what it is saying is, for those he foreknew. What he's saying is, I foreknew you. Before you had flesh, before you took form, I knew you. For whom he foreknew. He had an idea as to who you are and he had a concept about who you should be and he had a, 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 a predisposition to build you the way that he did. Long before you ever took on flesh. He's talking to people and he's, what he's saying is, I knew you before you knew yourself. I created you. There's an important principle in there. If you want to find your purpose for life, don't go and look at it anywhere else. Go back to the one who created you. If you go back to the one who created you, he has set in place a path for you to begin to understand who I am and why I'm here. I foreknew you. If you have a look at 1 Peter 1 verse 2, it says, because I foreknew you, what he's talking about is I chose you. You were not an accident. Nothing arbitrarily happened that suddenly hit God and he was like, how did that come about? I chose you. He foreknew you and he chose you. You were predestined. Predestined means what God is saying is, my intention is that you step into a place where you conform to his image. He's not talking about whether you get born again or not. Your predestination is who you were designed to be. You were designed to be conformed to his image. What he was saying and what he's saying to us is who you are and what you're all about. The future and what I've designed for you to live in was always made known to me before you ever realized it and before you were ever born. Nothing that happens in your life catches God by accident. Nothing catches him by surprise. There are no emergencies with God. I knew your life before you were ever born and I made provision for it. We may not see the provision and we may not be able to understand it. But if you go back to the designer, he'll show you the answer. He'll show you the answer. You know, it's quite amazing. You had nothing to do with any of that. You didn't even know about it till I told you. All of those things came into being and God had put them in place without any contribution from us. He foreknew you, he chose you, and he predestined you before you ever knew anything about it and before you made any contribution to those things. It's things he put in place and he got the ball in motion. But it comes to a point where he says, all of a sudden, it's not just about predestination and your calling and the, uh, the, your, the fact that you're foreknown and chosen and predestined. But all of a sudden, he says, you are called. Things change when you were called. Things change because all of a sudden, he's sitting saying, I'm not an autonomous player in this. And for the first time, I'm going to introduce you to the fact that you have a role and a contribution to, to play in all of this. It is a gateway. Watch for the gateways in, with God. 
if you find yourself stuck, are you stuck behind a gateway? Remember this. A good example is the, the temple. You had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. What it was talking about is there are transitions that we make in life. There are places that we can move so that we can get closer to who he is. But we determine where that is. Everything has been put in place so that we can realize it. But we are the ones that determine where we want to position ourselves. Go through the gateways. The calling is a gateway. What he's saying is, I foreknew you, I chose you, I've predetermined what you should be doing. Would you like to get to know me? And he waits. It's a calling. It's that time when God intervenes in our life. That time when his purpose comes out of eternity and meets us in time. What he's saying is, what do you want to do? You want to walk through the gateway. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Till I go through the gate. When I make the choice to go through the gate, you are saved. What happens when you are saved? You become a whole new creation in him. You did nothing. He did everything. What you elected to do was walk through the gateway. Walk through the gateway. Know this about the kingdom of God. You never initiated the choice to be born again. He did. We responded. In working in the kingdom, understand that the only choice that is of significance is God's choice. We can do whatever we want to do, but unless it was his choice, it'll never bear fruit. What it means is this. The invitation he extends to us is one of fatherhood. Let me father you. Let me love you. I got a plan. It's predestined. I've chosen you. I foreknew you. You want to know what your plan is? If you come to me, I will tell you what to do. And if you are obedient to what I tell you to do, what you'll find is that the provision is there and you'll start to walk into what it is that I have for your life. Don't run off and do your own thing. Even if it's well intended. I'm going to go and save Bangladesh. And he says, where are you? We want to do things sometimes that are well intended. Well motivated. But they're not his choice. Find out what he wants you to do. With the big and the consequential issues of your life. Make sure that it's his choice. But he's so lovely and handsome and he's a rebel. And he's rotten for you. It is not his choice. Find his choice. Because if you get his choice, the way that we live in the kingdom and the way that we operate effectively in the kingdom is by understanding thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Show me what it is that I'm supposed to do. Father, I'm in this situation. I've got these job offers. Which one do I take? Where do I go? Listen to what he has to say. What he's saying is, I've got a choice for you. Will you hear me? And step into it. 
saves. He justifies. Justifies is being, in heaven's eyes, deemed as guiltless. What it says is, God's righteousness has become my righteousness. What it says is, you've moved to that place where I've imparted to you something that you could not do for yourself. But you walked through the gate. And because you walked through the gate, you got what I had for you. What I've given you is justification, redemption. It's imparted, but it's not experiential. (coughs) Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Down the wrong pipe. (coughs) Work out your salvation. Which brings us to... Romans chapter 1, 12, verse 1. You see, Romans, the first to the 11th chapters, are the most logical and concise disposition, revelation, understanding, unveiling of God's plan of redemption. It tells us everything we have to know about his grace and his mercy. It shares with us everything that we need to understand about his incredible provision through the sacrifice of Christ. And then it gets to chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says, By the mercies, what does it say? I beseech you, I beseech you therefore. I've got the wrong verse. I beseech you therefore. I beseech you, therefore, what Paul is saying is this. I've taken 11 chapters to tell you about the fact that God has done incredible things for you. I've taken 11 chapters to expound on it and give you an understanding so that it gives you a concise version of who God is and what he's all about. And it brings me to this place where I say, therefore, because of what he's done, therefore... This is your responsibility. He shifts the focus from everything that God has done and he moves it to a place where he says, now let me introduce you to what is your reasonable response. What is your reasonable response? And it's interesting because God doesn't ask for something complicated. He doesn't ask for something hyper-spiritual. He asked for something simple. Something each of us can give. He says, give me your body. Give me your body. It's a simple little phrase. Don't overlook it too quickly. Because in that simple little phrase is gateway number two. Gateway number two. What he's saying is you could do nothing for yourself spiritually. 
I did everything for you spiritually and I offered you an invitation. What I said to you was, would you like to experience my life and my love? Would you like to be a partaker of that? And when you walked through the gate, it became a reality in your life. It was all imparted to you. I'm on my journey with God. I'm moving somewhere. And suddenly he brings me to the next fence and he says, now that you have everything spiritually, would you like to go through the next gate? Give me your body. Why? Because I'm looking to take those things which are spiritual and I'm looking to introduce them into your world. You are the place where the spiritual world and the natural world come together. It's in you. What he's saying is, give me your body because I can do some things as you walk through gate number two that you can't do for yourself. But it depends. Are you prepared to walk through the gate? You see, the challenge is that everybody loves Jesus, but not everybody's prepared to live for him. Everybody loves Jesus. But will you give up your life? You see, because if you don't give up your life, you'll never find it. I'm trying to find my destiny. I'm trying to find my purpose. Lay down your life. Walk through gateway number two. Because if you don't walk through gateway number two, we live with this idea that my spirituality and my relationship with God is something internal inside of myself. And he's sitting saying, I'm looking to walk through gate number two so I can take those things that are inside of yourself and I can introduce them so that the world, the, so that the word can become flesh once again and dwell among them. And you can know it. You're married. You're part of the bride of Christ. But when you became the bride of Christ, remember your marriage vows. You see, marriage is the two become one. And when the two become one, what it means is, everything I have belongs to you. And everything you have belongs to me. I don't get to go into marriage saying, ah, you can have my cooking and I'll take Ooh. care of your kids uh, and the house on occasion, but that's about it. You get my wallet, you get some provision, but that's about it. The two become one. When the two become one, it means you don't own anything. It's all incorporated. It's an all-inclusive deal. There are no exclusions. When you became the bride of Christ, everything became his. So when he walked in, what he's saying is, I'm just looking for that. And that belongs to me. Will you surrender it? <laughs> Can I have some more water, Rafa? Will you give me your body? We have this strange concept. We have this idea that my relationship with God is spiritual. And so I can come into church and I can shamatata and I love the praise team and we do all of our stuff and I amen and I'm, the la- I'm not the loudest amen because that's rougher. But thank you. <laughs> I'm the second loudest amen. Right. But I've got all the spiritual stuff happening on the inside of me. But then Monday comes and I can go out and I can live my life because my body is my own. <coughs> 
It's okay to divorce the two. It's not that I don't love God. I love him very much. But I'm just doing my stuff out here. And God wants us to come to a place where we recognize and realize that the two are one. I cannot be spiritually charged, spiritually, spiritually alive, and in my body living in death. John fifteen sixteen says you to produce fruit. You did not choose me. I chose you so that you could produce fruit and fruit that remains. He's looking to produce fruit in our bodies. What he's saying is give me your body so I can have access to your life and into the world. Present your body. When he talks about presenting your body, he's talking to us in the context of your position as a priest. Revelation 1 verse 6 says he has made us kings and priests. Presenting your body. He's saying, I'm talking to the priestly you. I'm talking to the priestly you. In the Old Testament, the priest was responsible for taking the sacrifices. He would take the offerings and he would take it to the temple. And the priest was the one who would do the sacrificing. What he's saying to us is, I'm not only calling you as the priest to come and do the sacrificing, I'm calling you to also be the sacrifice. In our priestly role, what he's saying to us is, I want you to begin to recognize and appreciate the fact that you are to worship me with your life. When I worship him with my life, what I'm saying as the priest is, I recognize the worth and the value of Christ inside of me. And because of that, I'm prepared to lay down my life for him. I want your body. I want your body. You know why? Because Paul is really saying to us, I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to be like the high priest who recognized the need to lay down his life for a bigger cause. To lay down his life for you and for me. What he's saying to us is, if we really want to walk out our purpose and the plan that he has for our life, there has to come a place in our life where I'm prepared to live as a living sacrifice. I'm prepared to live from that place because I recognize the fact that there is so much more that he has available to me. I recognize the fact that if I walk through that gate, Christ that's on the inside of me, the very one that my life worships is going to do some stuff in my life and in my world that I'm not capable of doing. When we appreciate and we value who he is and we're prepared to enter that gate, what we're saying is, I'm prepared to live a life of obedience. And Samuel, David is a young man, is anointed to be king. Did I say Daniel? Yeah, in Samuel. I said David, right? 
is anointed to be king. Samuel comes and anoints him. And he says, God's chosen you. And he anoints him. And you know what happens? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Until one day, Samuel 17, his dad says to him, David, leave the sheep. Here's some food. Would you take it to your brothers? And he said, yes. He honored his father and did what he asked him to do. David had no clue that living like Grubhub would change his life. (laughs) (laughs) You see, when we live from a place of obedience to God, don't underestimate the simple things in life because things that may be relatively inconsequential to us may be far more consequential in the kingdom. Just take them some food. He had no clue. He was talking about the destiny of a nation and he was talking about walking into his purpose. I'm just here to deliver some sandwiches. Obedience will change your life. Obedience will change your life. But you've got to give him your body. You've got to give him your body. Because when he has your body, the simplest little things that he may ask you to do may be more transformational than you could ever have imagined. I never realized that taking sandwiches to my brother would walk me into my destiny as king. My destiny as king. Never confuse a calling and an indulgence. An indulgence is all about me. An indulgence is making my life comfortable and cushy. An indulgence is all about me ingratiating my desires and what it is that I'm looking for. But a calling is kingdom-minded. A calling is something that is kingdom-centric, that says I'm here with a purpose to take the kingdom and advance the purposes of the king and the kingdom. The world is going to lie to you. It's going to seduce you with the promise that who you are and your purpose in life can be fulfilled without God. You do what you want to do. It's a seduction that says, let me introduce you to the reality that your happiness and your fulfillment can be accomplished by what it is that you want to do. You don't need God in the equation. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. You don't need God. I know what God's told you. But if you do your own thing, If you follow your own desires, you can make your future and your purpose and your destiny. Jesus was baptized. He came straight out of the water and he was led into the desert to be tempted. You read your Bible, Rafa. Good. (laughs) To be tempted. What is the temptation? You can do it. 
I will give it to you. I will give you all of this. It's a seduction. If you just worship me. If you just worship me. The world is going to tell you that you can do this on your own. You can define yourself on your own. You can create your future on your own. You don't need God. It's the world ideology. It's all self-centric. It's about self-gratification. Self-awareness. Self-pursuits. Self-happiness. It's all wrapped in self. The thing with it is, if we go down that road, what we do is, we wonder how, God, how Satan has access to our life. The re- way he gets access to our life is by tempting us and moving us through things that engage and tantalize the eye and the flesh, the pride of life. Babies are born into the world, selfish, because they have their nature. Feed me now. Don't, you're not playing with my toys. Give it back. I want this now. I don't feel like eating that. Everything is about me. It's all about me. When we live for self, what ends up happening is everything's about me. I didn't get the position that I was supposed to get. You don't understand what they said about me. I'm so offended by that. I'm so hurt by whatever it could be. I'm not in a, a favorable position because of who I am. It's all about me. And what God wants to say is this. The thing is, when we come to the place and we recognize what the gateway means, it introduces us to the fact that You cannot hurt, you cannot offend, you cannot defriend, and you cannot cancel a corpse. We're to live as a corpse. It's no longer my own. My life belongs to him. My life is his. The reason so many people experience so much stuff is because they're really not living as the corpse. What they're living as is they're still living from a position where they're in love with themselves. I've got to let it go. There's going to be stuff that happens on your journey to, through life, I can tell you. And the thing about it is we, we, we've created a, a, a whole society that is world-centric. It's all about me. It's all about my emotions. You want to know where the whole snowflake thing came about? It's all because it's like I'm so hurt and I'm so wounded. Life's so difficult and I'm entitled. And It's all about me. We've got to be able to step beyond that and say it's not about me. It's about him. It's about Christ in me. It's about me surrendering my life to him and saying, what do you want me to do from this point? I'll tell you why it becomes important because God doesn't want to rent you. God wants to own you. You see, when God rents you, he, he gets to enjoy who you are on Sundays and now and again when you have a problem and odds and ends. But if God owns you, it, I belong to him. I'll tell you why it's important. 
Because you see, if you rent a property, you're not responsible for the maintenance of it. But if you own a property, you are responsible for that. When God owns you, it's different. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. When I get to that gate and I recognize what it is that he's calling me to, I consider that place and I can say, I'm surrendering everything to you because the kingdom and you are far more important than me. And as a result of moving into that space, I want to thank you, Father, for your love for me. I want to thank you that everything that you've given to me spiritually, I make available my body so that it touches and influences who I am and the world I find myself in. I want to thank you that every one of my needs is met because I'm surrendered into the principle that seeking first the kingdom of God. I can't say I'm I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and living for myself. We wonder why we struggle with some stuff. My suggestion might be have a look at something like that. Explore that place. Are we really seeking first the kingdom? Or is it just something that we say in the expectation that God's going to do something? God knows our heart and he's more interested in that than what comes out of our mouth. We can deceive ourselves but you can't deceive him. He knows the motives and what's happening on the inside here. God has an exciting plan and a future for every one of you. He knew you before you were born. What I can encourage you to do is this. Your future and who you are, your calling and what he wants you to do in the world is totally wrapped up in him and his love for you. And all he's doing is looking for opportunities for you to step through different gateways so that at that point you give him permission to sit and flood your life at that point. And so I step through the next gateway and I'm living in the expectation, Father, I just surrender to you. I surrender to you in the kingdom. And what happens? You just flood me once again. Walking out our purpose is not us trying to do stuff for God. It's surrendering to the place that he has a plan and a purpose and he can do some stuff for me that I can't do for myself. You will have an idea as to which way you should be going, whether you're born again or not. And I'll tell you why. Because you were created for purpose. Because of that, you have certain gifting. You have certain propensities. You have certain characteristics. Why? Because those were built into you to fulfill your purpose. People in the world can have an idea. I know which way I should be heading. The point of it is, we never realize our calling and our place in the kingdom if we don't involve him. What is it if you gain the whole world? And lose your soul. What he's saying is, all of that stuff is inconsequential without me. And you'll know it. Father, I just want to thank you for people who are here today. I want to thank you for the incredible plan that you have for every person's love, life. I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that you just, you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for the opportunity just to flood our lives with your love. I want to thank you for the choices that you extend to us, Father. And as we recognize them, as we honor them, and as we begin to walk them out in our lives, I want to thank you that you just flood our lives with your love. Every situation, 
I thank you that every provision we've ever needed has been provided for before we were ever born. I want to thank you, Father, for people who have a hunger to find their place for you. To find their place, uh, it's more than an indulgence, but where they're an integral member in extending the kingdom. I thank you, Father, for people who go out into the world, people who are anointed, people who are just brimming over with your love. And I want to thank you that they go out into that space, that they're light and they're salt. I want to thank you that the world changes. I want to thank you that you empower them, Father, to begin to transform and change a society that's so desperately needing love. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love for us. I speak blessing over every person here. I speak protection over every person here. I speak healing, health over every person. In Jesus' name.